Yeah, it's me again. Finally, love I embrace the changes I love. Welcome to episode six of the LDS Mission Cast. This is Nick Galetti, and on this episode, we have part two of our interview series with Dr. Taylor Halverson. In our first interview, we talked about some great tips about teaching with metaphor and analogy. Missionaries use these teaching techniques all of the time, but sometimes we don't always use them well. So if you didn't listen to that episode, please go back and listen to it. It was an excellent episode. It's available at LDSMissionCast.com. This week is part two, where Taylor offers an approach he calls talking is not teaching. It's this complete reframing and approach to teaching the gospel that mirrors much of what's being rolled out in the Sunday schools and in priesthood and relief society with the come follow me style of gospel learning. And so this episode really fleshes that out in a way that I don't think I've ever heard before. And I'm Sunday school president in my ward, so I study this stuff and teach it all the time. So the fact that this is really new, groundbreaking stuff is worth listening to. I can say that much. The music for this week is also our second week of featuring music by April Maservi. She recently won an award for her music video at the LDS Film Festival in Orem, Utah. Uh, She is such an amazing voice, and she's an amazing talent. So please visit April Maservi's website. We have a link to it in the show notes of this episode at LDSMissionCast.com. So here it is. Here is part two of our interview with Dr. Taylor Halverson, the teaching and learning consultant from BYU. We want to welcome back a previous guest on the LDS Mission cast, uh, Taylor Halverson. We had some... uh, interesting conversations at the end of our last interview and we decided that there was space and time for other topics because again he's the teacher of teachers at BYU he helps the professors do their job better and so we're going to talk today about an interesting concept that has almost been kind of foreign in the church culture until the release of some recent changes to priesthood and relief society curriculum and come follow me and things like that and we'll get into in a little bit but the concept is Talking is not teaching. So welcome, Taylor, back, and uh, thank you for making time for this. So let's get to this idea of how things have been when it comes to the LDS culture's approach to teaching. So the LDS culture to teaching has not been much different from the world's culture of teaching, which is uh, talking is teaching, that an expert delivers content by speaking. The word lecture— is something that I was familiar with growing up. I got a lot of that from my parents. I probably deserved it. <laughs> yeah. But in an academic world, we do a lot of lecturing. And it's an interesting word. The word lecture is an ancient French word that means to read. Okay. Well, that's kind of interesting. Well, why are we reading to students? Uh, in the 12 and 1300s when universities were started, and I'm giving some backdrop here because sure. the, the church is made up of people. And we follow a lot of the teaching culture that just has been around for a very long time. Sure. So before the age of the printing press, if you went to school and if you wanted a book full of expertise, how would you get it? Well, you'd go to the class of the expert and he would read his book to you. 
He had his own handwritten book. Remember, there's no printing press. So what do you do as a student? You take notes. In fact, you take notes on everything. You're a scribe. At the end of the class, you have your own copy of the book. Right. It's a great way to deliver content. Well, the printing press came along in 1465, and boy, you can do the calculation of how many hundreds of years ago that was. And we still are in this mode of content delivery. And content delivery is only a part of the learning experience. It's hard to learn if you don't know stuff. You can't go do math problems if nobody's actually delivered math problems to you. Sure. And so sometimes as teachers, we think it's enough just to hand over content. Right. I actually have wondered, what if we got rid of the word teacher? Now, we're not going to do that. But what if instead of the word teacher, we had in our society the word learning designer? Because that is what a teacher does. Okay. They design learning experiences. Included in the learning experience is the delivery of content. So you actually may need as a teacher to do lecturing to deliver content to students. But there's more than that. You have to be designing the totality of the learning experience. You have to think through. In fact, there's several core principles that we teach professors. And I would teach anywhere, anyone who's trying to be a great learning designer, which should be any of us. Sure. As parents, as friends, any calling in the church, you're trying to design learning experiences for others to grow and develop and to become. Uh, the first thing a, gr- a learning designer does is they have to identify how will the learner be different because of the experience they have in this learning, this designed experience. Second, the learning designer has to describe how they and the learners will know that positive learning has occurred. It, you can't just deliver content and say, oh, I really hope something good comes. Sure. You got to measure it. Yeah. In fact, we have this phrase sometimes we use, pray or spray and pray. We spray content and pray that something sticks with the students. <laughs> okay. Right. So you have to be able to, before you even measure where the learning's occurred, you have to identify what would learning look like. And we can do that. It takes time and effort, but you can do it if you step back and say, what does it look like that somebody is willing to be kind to others? It's not enough for me simply to preach kindness. You have to be able to also talk to learners about here's what kindness looks like, and here's how you can identify in your life when you've been kind to people. You can reflect on how it makes you feel, and you re- report to others about how you've been kind. Yeah. I'm making a really simple explanation here. No, but it so, works. So again, learning designer has to first identify how the learners will be different, identify what that will look like, and then measure it. Then you plan those activities, you implement the learning activities, and then you actually show everybody how success has been achieved. Or if not, what can we do differently in the future so that everybody learns? And this view of learning takes the agency and puts it into the hands of learners. Too often, we go to church to be taught instead of going to church to learn. Yeah. And there's a big difference. And on the face of it, people say, well, what's the difference between being taught and going to church to learn? Being taught is passive. You're being acted on. Going to learn is proactive and is using your agency. So let me just tell another story real briefly about uh, the new curriculum that came out this year for the adult Sunday school. Yeah, the come follow me kind of style. The come follow me style, which already had been rolled out with the youth a couple years ago. Yeah, four or five even. And the major operating principle is that we want to empower learners and encourage their agency to engage their own learning around the gospel. So instead of a sage on the stage, 
the teacher is more of a, a guide on the side and that the learners are empowered to learn for themselves and with others. Yeah. And so I work at the Center for Teaching and Learning at Brigham Young University. My first boss there was a man named Russ Oscarthorpe. And about a month, a couple months after I started my job, he was called to be the general Sunday school president of the church. The teacher of teachers for the church. Yeah, he, you know, he oversees the Sunday school throughout the church, sure. including the adult curriculum like we have going on right now uh, that just rolled out. And that was a lot of his efforts led to what just came out with the adults and, and what came up with the youth a few years ago. And I'll tell the story about how I came to see his perspective on teaching and learning. So what I just shared with you earlier was really influenced by him. It's funny, I did a PhD in education. And what I'm about to share with you, when he shared this thought with me, I was so ashamed I'd spent seven years and I don't know how much money getting a PhD in education I had never considered the concept that he taught me. Mm. And I thought, man, this is so powerful. And he's right on. And here's what the idea was. I step into his office at BYU and I say, hey, you have this new calling. What is your mission or purpose going to be? And he said something that was very uh, shocking to me. He said, in the church, we have way too much focus on teaching. And I protested. I said, wait, we, we want good teachers. I mean, you're the general yeah. Sunday school president. How can you say that? That's exactly what I said. And I said, you're also the director of the Center for Teaching and Learning at BYU. How could it be that we have too much focus on teachers and teaching? I mean, it's not like we want bad teachers and teaching. He said, you're right. But what I'm trying to say here is that we need more focus on learners and learning. When the focus is on teachers and teaching, we often forget about learners and learning. If the focus is first on learners and learning, teaching will follow. And that was a complete sea change in my brain and my perspective, which has now influenced me now uh, nine years since that conversation. Mm. And so a lot of my life has been driven towards how do I empower learners and learning? Yeah. Now, I do teach teachers how to be teachers, but I teach them in the perspective of how do you help your learners be better learners? And great teachers will do that. Right. So that's this new curriculum we have in the church is trying to empower learners to be better learners and to stop, to not put so much emphasis on a teacher. Because Jesus was the master teacher. Yeah. Well, then how come there were so many failed learners? Is it the teacher's fault? Was that Jesus's fault? Was he such a bad teacher, even though he's the master teacher, that all those learners didn't get it? No, it's, it's learner's agency. And so when you empower the learners, this is about you. This is about you growing and progressing. The teacher is there to help, but you have to be the one that ultimately acts and learns for yourself. Yeah. One of the things that came out of this whole change was, of course, the Teaching in the Savior's Way manual, which is very small. It's much more principle-driven. But one of the things that it has in here about inviting diligent learning is that a true gospel teacher is not satisfied when learners simply listen to what he or she has to say. Learning the gospel is not meant to be a passive experience. Now, when I think about that with respect to missionary work, because when we think about investigators or those that are being introduced to the gospel, what else could we ask for other than someone who is engaged and desires to learn what we're teaching instead of just someone that sits there and listens to what we have to say? And so we can see that as missionaries, but how do we apply that? How would a missionary sitting in a discussion or they don't call them that anymore, right? Right. Whatever they call it nowadays. When they're sitting there talking gospel with other people, they feel, hey, I've been called to teach. But 
it sounds weird to say I've been called to listen. So how does this apply to missionaries? So missionaries have to think about who can these people become as they become better learners, as they engage in their learning. So if the principle is faith, well, I can talk about faith all day long. What could I do to help my learner have experiences with faith, experiences where they grow and develop? If it's uh, repentance, how can I work with the investigator to have repentance experiences? So sure, you want to talk to them. You share your own stories. So talking as a form of teaching, it's it's not It's still bad. there. You, get, you got to talk, right? God still talks to us today. I mean, revelation is God talking to us. But you want to make sure that you've thought through, can I support them in experiences they're already having or design some experiences that would help them to learn the principle? I might add that uh, I wrote an article for the Desert News a few years ago called The Rules of Learning. I walked into my daughter's preschool class and on the wall was rules of learning. And it had like 30 rules for the kids. Run, jump, shout, experiment, try, uh, observe, contemplate, ask questions, play. And we just went on and on. And then it said rules for the parents. There were two rules. Two rules. Watch and listen. And it dawned on me, as a teacher at BYU and many teachers that I see around the world, it's the exact opposite. The students are stuck in seats watching and listening as I, as a teacher, do all the fun stuff on stage, showing off the learning that I've had over the years. And as missionaries, sometimes we get so excited about the gospel, we're doing all the playing. Look how fun it is about the gospel. No, you want to be able to model, but you also need to step back and watch and observe. And it dawned on me, you know, in the long history of human occupation of this world, God has mostly watched and observed as the rest of us are down here acting and playing and experimenting and trying. And so as a missionary, you need to think to yourself, how do I not get in the way of other people's agency? How do I make sure that I'm empowering their agency to act, to do, to live the gospel instead of simply listening to me talk about how amazing the gospel is? Some talking will need to happen. Bearing your testimony is always a great thing, but spend just as much time thinking through how do we create experiences, even little role plays or some service activity we go do where we get to talk about a gospel principle? Yeah. Let them enact the gospel. That's a revolutionary idea to missionary work, if I may say so. Because this idea that when you go into a lesson with a, an individual or a family, that you're not saying, what do we need them to learn so that we check that off the list so that they're ready for baptism, right? Because that... Let's, let's be honest, that does happen. And, and perhaps there's some value still in that, but the idea should probably be, we walk into this, say, these people are a family. What ways can we teach the family about faith? This is an, expans- an expansion on just metaphor. Mm-hmm. This is, we're going to construct, we're going to design an experience where they can learn. And this is interesting because when you go back to things like the scripture that I can't remember the exact reference, but if, if you shall do the work, you'll know the doctrine, right? So even Christ was trying to get people to say, we can talk about this. We can be in the synagogues. We can talk about this on a hilltop and on all that. But until you go out and live it, you don't know it. And you know this. There's a, there's, 
English is a weird language in the sense that to know something can there's not a different word for knowing it experientially versus knowing it like academically or, or cognitively. Right. Mm-hmm. But a lot of other languages have just different words for knowing something. In fact, even ancient Hebrew, when you talk about this translations that we see in the scriptures about coming to know God, it's really coming to experience God. Right. It's an intimate experience. It's a, it, that's the covenant relationship, but it's so intimate that you know God experientially. So if I'm understanding you correctly, you're talking about missionaries going into a home and saying, you know what, instead of sitting here and reading scriptures, let's go outside and let's learn about service or whatever the principle is. Right. And you construct something where they get to see and experience faith fully and completely. Right. And so it's more of them reflecting. We're talking about the investigators reflecting and talking about their experience and, and coming to discover for themselves oh, this principle that you guys are teaching about faith, I understand it and I've seen how it's played out in my life and I can see that if I do more of it, I'll draw closer to Jesus just as you've testified of. There's a scripture in James 1, 27, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. And it goes on to talk about visit the Father, list the widows and so forth. The underlying Greek word for religion there actually is interesting. It's outward religion. Isn't it funny? Mm. We try not to be outward or showing what we're doing. But James is trying to make the point that religion that is outward is really mostly the only religion that matters, meaning serving others, loving others. Even faith ultimately is an outward manifestation of an inner state. So don't get me wrong. You want to have reverence and have you know personal interactions with God through prayer and so forth. But religion, as it's conceived, as James is talking about, is what you're doing, stuff that's observable. Now, again, we're not trying to be, oh, I want people to see how religious I am because they see me paying my alms. It's not that. It's you need to be able to demonstrate, to at least to yourself, I'm living my religion by serving, by kindness, by action. Faith, frankly, is dead without works. Yeah. It's not enough for me to believe in the Word of God. And then there's people suffering, and I'm doing nothing about it, right? If I have faith, I prove my faith by doing something, by acting. Yeah. And by acting, it actually confirms my faith and my faith grows. And this is kind of like, the, to go back to this whole idea of a checklist for baptism kind of idea, we're not going into a baptismal interview with some orthodox test where they have to answer multiple choice on whether or not they know that God lives. Or It's very much this concept that we're trying to get across that if you can demonstrate that you know God lives in your behavior and your action, then we know that you know the orthodoxy of it. Right. But but the orthopraxy of it, the practice of these principles is so much more powerful. So if a missionary or anyone for that matter can go in and orchestrate examples of these things and have them literally live them. I mean, that's part of why we ask them to pray about the Book of Mormon and to read it because then they... Don't just trust us. Right. You need to put the time and effort in. Exactly. So what are some of the... Have you thought of ways maybe that, that missionaries can possibly do this more effectively with what they've been asked to teach? Because obviously they're not, they have a very set list of things that they need to go through. Yeah. One of the simplest ways is getting the investigators to talk more. In fact, I would say this to professors in learning environments, the more students are talking and doing, the more learning that's going to happen. But if a teacher's doing all the talking, you don't really know if anyone's learning anything. So the more you can get your investigators to reflect on one of the experienced God's love 
and think about what were the conditions where they felt that love? Well, how could you replicate that? When were the conditions that you felt faith? When were the conditions that you loved others? Or maybe the opposite. When have you felt anger in your life? What, were the, what led to that? And how did you get out of that moment? Because we could do brilliant lessons about overcoming fear and anger and loving God and feel the spirit about it. And people could say, man, this is a beautiful lesson. But asking people to take the time to reflect in their own lives and to share with others how they've seen these principles in action in their own lives will empower them to do more. So, so that's the first step. Get them to reflect. Second, get them to think about what they could do to set up the conditions to have more of those experiences. Okay. So the missionaries actually don't have to be the ones designing the experiences for investigators. You actually just have to set up the conditions for the investigators to design their own experiences. That's and to recognize them. And to recognize them. That's exactly right. So I would say help them reflect and then help them think about how do I design more experiences in my own life to get more of that in my life? Well, and one of the things that can happen is you can say, when was the time that you had an answer to a prayer? And if, if that is relevant, then you can say, well, let's take that same experience and let's now apply that to the Book of Mormon. What could you do? What could you do that got you, you, you did this before, right. now do it with this and, and see the same thing. Notice how powerful that is. Instead of me as a missionary trying to convince you or commit you to do something I want you to do, you're actually now as an investigator designing your own experience about something you want to do. Yeah, I'm actually want to design my own experiment. I'm going to create my own commitment about finding out what the Book of Mormon is true. Suddenly, the investigator's doing the missionary's work. Well, they're, they're choosing to do it. Like, oh, I'm not waiting for you to commit me. I actually want to choose to create an experience where I know for myself this is true. And the missionary is there as the help and the support. I think Ammon is our very one of our strongest examples in all of Scripture about this kind of missionary effort, where he just gets in, he embeds himself into their lives, serves them, and he really only starts preaching when they have seen his love and service and have questions, and then he empowers them to act on the truth. So maybe another piece of advice could be if you find yourself up against maybe, let's just say a stubborn student, maybe one that's a little, the ground is a little less fertile. Yeah. In what ways does this help overcome that? Maybe as the missionary to say, you know what, maybe I ought to take a step back and reorganize how I'm approaching this and see how they work, see what they can draw upon in their own life experience. Because everybody's had life experience. Even a 10-year-old has had some life experience. Right. Everybody is a hero of their own story. And they're far more likely to feel love if somebody demonstrates interest in, their, in, in who they are. And as a missionary, you're, you're more likely to succeed with people if you know your audience. Yeah. And you know your audience by letting them spend more time talking, by asking good questions. Tell me more about struggles in your life and how you have felt God help you. Tell me more about the times where you didn't get the help you wanted and what happened and how you would like to see things be different. You just let them talk. Yeah. It, suddenly you know all these things about your investigator you would have never known before, and the Spirit will be prompting you about scriptures to share, personal testimony you can share, and say, yes, isn't that interesting you had that experience? Let me share a story from somebody I know who went through something similar, and here's the actions they took. So maybe if this person hasn't been able to take those actions, now you can teach, you can talk, and say, here's a framework you can use. Here's a, somebody from our ward that went through that same experience you did. Here's what they did. What do you think about that? Yeah. What do you think would happen if you tried that? Well, by golly, missionary, I think 
I believe I could try that. I think I will try the experiment. And then it's like Alma 32 after that. Yeah. The, the, the seed begins to grow and they go, hey, there's something here. Yes. And that interests me and I want more of that. And so this, this is almost a way to, to help replant seeds that may have felt that they landed in the wrong spot even. Right. So helping people overcome their concerns and things like that can be a, a product of, of this approach as well. Let me share a few, another word here. I love word etymologies. The word teaching comes from an ancient Proto-Indo-European word that means to show. In fact, our word token comes from the same root word that teacher does. Okay. Which I think is interesting, particularly what we understand from our temples about tokens. Yeah. But tokens are signs or symbols of something else. Let's just imagine taking that etymological perspective. There's a teacher that all I'm doing is showing and I'm handing over tokens of symbols of some other reality that people could experience. But if all I do is teach, 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 meaning I'm showing, 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 will people ever really experience the reality that I'm showing? No. I'm saying, hey, look over there. I'm showing you over there. It's this really awesome thing. It's called the tree of life. I'm showing it to you. Here's a token of it. Let me show it to you again. But I never actually let them walk up to it and actually feel the tree and partake of the fruit. I'm just showing it more and more and more. Yeah. This is the problem when we think that talking is teaching, is that we're showing, and that's an important thing. Like if you're off in the wild wilderness like Lehi was, and he's like in this dark and dreary waste, you need somebody to show you where the tree is. But it wasn't like he just sat there looking at the tree the entire time. He went to it. He had an experience. And again, the problem we have with the teaching we often spend so much time showing, we don't shut up and let people go experience what we showed them. It usually is enough to show it once. So for the 100 units we have of teaching experience, spend one unit showing and 99 units of experiencing and reflecting on that experience. Yeah. I think this is going to take some time. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a sea change. It is. And, but a good one at, at a number of levels. And I think that as a generation's begin to start practicing this, that we will see change over time really come from this. And the idea of going to a church, going to a missionary lesson, anything like that, where you know what you're doing is you're gaining experience, helps cement that knowledge. So fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time. And uh, you mentioned an article in there. We'll try and get a link to that article. Actually, if I have we can. a bunch of articles on this. I have like okay. probably a dozen articles related to these principles. Send us a dozen links and we'll post them. <laughs> and they'll all be on the exam. <laughs> It'll be right. multiple choice. <laughs> That's right. Actually, uh, just for fun, can I, I another right word in. for etymology? Please. The word experience comes from the same root word for experiment. Okay. Which comes from the same root word for expert. If you want to become an expert at the gospel, you have to experience the gospel by experimenting on the gospel. Yeah. Excellent. I love it. Fantastic. Again, thank you for coming in. and, and uh, No I extra a, charge for those, those <laughs> extra insights. Just those are free for everybody. Free for everybody. Well, thank you again for sharing that. And uh, boy, BYU teachers are lucky to have you. Yeah, I'm pretty humble about it. I mean, proud about my humility. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been a great job. Awesome. Thank you again. In a world full of people, I feel alone. If you're not by my side So find a way to me I can't stand silence from you I have
I want to thank Taylor Halverson again for his kindness and taking so much time to share these wonderful insights with us. In last week's episode, Taylor talked about having an online database of metaphors and analogies that people can draw from, as, as well as a space where we can have a discussion about the pros and cons of each of these metaphors. I thought it was such a good idea that I went out and created an online discussion group just for that. So if you go now to ldsmissioncast.com forward slash metaphors, you will see that we have a discussion forum set up to do that very thing. The discussions are arranged by gospel principles, so faith, baptism, apostasy, priesthood authority, basic gospel principles that are taught most often. Now, each principle can have a topic, which is where we would have the metaphor that could be discussed. I've started a couple, like the ice cream man handing out a speeding ticket example for why proper priesthood authority matters when it comes to baptism and other gospel ordinances. So many missionaries have used that example, and, and sometimes it works right. It works well with the right audience, I should say, and other times it might not. And having these sorts of discussions can be a great resource to those that are on a mission, but it can be great for those that are, of course, participating in the discussion, but also for those that are looking for help in their own efforts to teach and share the gospel with others. So this is something that anyone should be able to access and comment on and participate in. And again, that address is ldsmissioncast.com forward slash metaphors. It's free to participate. You just need to open an account, pick a principle or a topic, and either add a metaphor of your own or one you've heard, and then tell your friends to join up. Join the conversation. Let's let's talk about how these things can and can't work. Um, but please check it out. Go there, visit, and join up. I also wanted to make mention of some of the upcoming guests and, and things that we're working on for the LDS Mission Cast. First, let me say that I've been traveling a good bit with my day job as a sound engineer lately. In fact, part of this episode, what I'm saying right now, is being recorded in my hotel room in Fort Worth, Texas. So because of that, though, I haven't been able to meet up with Kelsey to record some new interviews for a couple weeks. There are some great interviews we have lined up, but I just haven't had a chance to actually record them. That's all changing this next week. I hope to get back to Salt Lake City and get back to recording some great interviews. One of our upcoming guests is Kathleen Sheffield. You probably haven't heard of that name unless you've taken one of her classes at BYU since 1985. But she's launching into a research project that is, shall we say, overdue. Our Facebook page, uh, we posted a link to her research survey. And this is about return missionaries. This is an actual academic study about the experiences and the, the feelings that return missionaries have when they first come home. So it doesn't matter how long ago you served your mission or where you served your mission. If you're an elder or sister, doesn't matter. It's all taken into consideration in the survey, but go. We have a link to it. Um, we have a link to it in our Facebook feed, but I have a feeling by the time that this episode airs, it might be ending. So I, I'm bringing it up because this is a subject that is one of the main focuses as to why I started the LDS Mission Cast. There aren't a lot of resources out there to deal with the phenomenon of returning home from a mission. And we haven't talked about it yet much because the resources for it are so few. But it is something that I want to focus on and what we're going to be looking at quite a bit more moving forward. 
But this research can be instrumental in helping the thousands of missionaries that come home to have a better start in life and to adjust in a more healthy way. But we're going to have her on. We're going to have Kathleen, the lady that's doing this research. We're going to have her on to talk about the research and why she's doing that whole effort. We also have another guest, Brittany Long Olson, who served her mission in the Tokyo, Japan mission. And instead of keeping her journal the way we might traditionally think, you know, just writing it down like a dear diary kind of thing, she made a comic book with drawings of her experiences as her journal. It's pretty cool. She published a book with her drawings, and she's going to come on to talk about her mission experience as well as her unique way of preserving the memories of her mission, which is something we don't often think about. But me, having been home from my mission about 20 years now, it's something that I can look back on and kind of wish I did better, to be honest with you. I wrote in it every day, but I think I didn't understand looking back how valuable that would be. And and she has some really cool advice in that, and I'm really excited to have her on. Now, also, as some of you have heard or we've posted a few things about the new how-to YouTube channel from the church, which has some great social media-friendly, shareable videos on a variety of very practical topics. So we've promoted, again, a couple of these things on our page, and actually Kelsey Edwards, our host, is appearing in some of them. Well, we're going to have on as a guest the man behind the whole how-to YouTube channel from the church. He's going to come on and talk about the missionary vision that these videos can have and the ways people can use them to share some, some practical gospel messages across the world. It's super easy, and they're really well done. So he's going to come on and talk about that, and I'm really excited about that. We're also getting dangerously close to launching our own video content on our YouTube page. We're going to have some fashion tips for the missionary as well as for the return missionary. And this comes from a longtime friend of mine. Her name is Paige Sorensen. She's a fashion and style consultant and the author of her own book. She's got two books out called Pep Talk for Missionaries, and the other one is Best 18 Months, the unofficial handbook for sister missionaries. She's a ton of fun and has some great advice. She does speaking engagements and special styling and consulting. It's excellent, really practical stuff, but it's not just fashion advice. We make sure that there's a spiritual component to everything we produce, and that's going to be true of these videos as well. There are gospel principles attached to the way we dress, and how we dress does matter. Perhaps we haven't thought about all the different ways that, that, that it can be considered a, as a spiritually relevant topic, but it is. So stay tuned for those as well. We'll make sure to make a big deal out of that when they are finally finished being produced up and, and all that kind of stuff. But there's many other things that I can't tell you about just yet because they're still kind of in the works, but we're really excited to bring you our podcast each and every week. This really is a labor of love for us, and we're glad that you joined us each and every week. But please, please take a moment to let us know how we're doing. Send us an email at contact at ldsmissioncast.com or go to our Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram pages. We need your reviews on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. In order for people to find our podcast, people need to leave reviews. That's just how it goes. So I'm committing you all right now. Those listening in, go to our listing for the podcast, wherever you listen to it, whether that's iTunes, Google Play, whatever. Go now. Do it now because you know before the music's over and the episode's done, you're going to forget. But this isn't hard. 
And we don't ask much of our listeners, but this is one thing that we're committing you to do. Will you go and leave a rating and review of the LDS Mission Cast wherever you listen to the podcast? Excellent. I know that doing so is a good thing. The more people that hear our podcast, hopefully the more they can be inspired and educated in doing missionary work, which is such an important work. Thank you again for listening each and every week. Share us with your friends, and then you can say, I listened to LDS Mission Cast before it was cool. Because, you know, that's a thing. Anyway, until next time, this is Nicoletti. Thank you for listening to the LDS Mission Cast. Everywhere you turn There's vultures and thieves at your back The storm keeps on twisting Keep on building the lies That you make up for all that you lack It don't make no difference Escaping one last time it's easier to believe that in this sweet madness, all oh, this glorious that brings me to my knees in the arms of the Some comfort here